This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another interview of one of our mobile home park owners. Today's guest is a big deal. Glad to have him on here. He's got a lot of publicity for being in the space. One of the guys is the face, one of the faces of the industry. He's a mobile park owner, operator, he's a syndicator, he's got his own podcast. Our guest today, Jefferson Tilly. Jefferson, thanks for coming on. <laughs> Ferd, thank you for uh, for having me. That's a, a wonderful introduction. Whatever I'm paying you, I'm doubling it. <laughs> oh, great. I don't put my kids in private school with that. <laughs> well, I know a little bit about you, but, but not enough, and I'm already in some of them the same way. So tell us a little yeah. bit about you and your background, and, and then we'll get into some MHP stuff here as well. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I've been in the, the mobile home park business now uh, going on 13 and a half uh, years. Um, I got started uh, back in, uh, actually, I first kind of discovered the space back in 2005. I uh, had been working in high tech uh, at a couple of different startups, had kind of been through the dot-com boom and bust. And initially, I thought, well, you know, let me buy an apartment building uh, it'll provide some passive income and smooth out some of my startups, you know, stock options. Yeah. And, uh, then just in like going to LoopNet and searching on multifamily, <clears throat> you know, and I knew I wasn't going to find anything out here in San Francisco where I live that, that would cash flow. So I was already looking, you know, in Lubbock, Texas and Peoria, Illinois, whatnot, but just in searching for multifamily, there'd be like, you know, 99 apartment buildings. And again, this was 15 years ago or so, you know, 99 apartment buildings in Lubbock, Texas at an eight cap, and then one random trailer park at like 12 cap. And um, I thought, that's absurd. I'm not buying a friggin' trailer park. Are you kidding? You know, I delete cap caught, but the 12 cap <laughs> caught your eye. I know. That. Yeah. Well, it, it did, but it just sort of seemed, you know, like such an odd thing to buy. And, 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 you know, there must be some trick to it. Anyway, probably that 12 cap deal, you know, had a lot of mobile home income in it. And I, I would not have known that at the time. But anyway, uh, so I went through several of these searches and kept discarding mobile home parks just because it seemed too weird. Uh, but then maybe after getting hit over the head, you know, fifth, eighth time, I, you know, I finally thought, well, you know, mobile home parks do seem to be multifamily. And I assume they, you know, throw off cash flow like an apartment building. Why don't I look into this? And uh, then it clicked pretty quickly, um, you know, what, why it's a great little niche. And I kind of built up an unofficial advisory board of about 10 guys that uh, were all in the business. I would run deals by them. I bought books and tapes. Uh, I went to seminars. I just started learning uh, about the business specifically, uh, as well as some related things like land trusts and other asset protection that's generic to real estate. But anyway, spent, uh, it took about a year and a half really of kind of education, looking at deals, putting in bids, getting turned down uh, before finally I, I got a deal bought. That was then I got interested in the space in late 05. It was early 07 that I actually closed on my first park. Um, <clears throat> all my own money. I was still working a day job. Um, 
after about a year, transitioned into this and, you know, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. So anyway, I got into it part by plan and part by dumb luck. <laughs> hey, good. Whatever works, that's great. Yeah. Um, a little similar background for me where I was, yeah, started a day job and was at a law firm and was like, you know what, I'm making more money on MHP than I am practicing law. I should just start doing MHP full time. <laughs> and it worked out. Now I do Now I do a little bit of both, but uh, you know, I, I like, I like doing both. I like being in the field. I like being in the deals, run to write deals and negotiating deals. So it's, it's going to be a fun space. So, interested too obviously when you you started out you know part-time like when you had your day job yes. how'd you how'd you decide to make the leap and how'd that work and then as you as you as you've grown you know, tell us about your first hire too i think that's a concern i think a lot of my clients have is like i'm doing everything you know i'm yeah yeah i need i need to have somebody else run the numbers i need somebody else to do the books but i need to have the books but i, I need somebody to do the, the ads <laughs> and the facebook and, and i don't mean the first hire like the first part creator or manager that's showing the units i mean like from a headquarters operation, I think that's that's where like dang now I'm really pay, bringing on the salary. Uh, yeah, you know that's where I think a lot of people get, get in my opinion, a lot of people get uh, overworked and you know they get nervous, they get nervous because they're afraid to bring on that next person. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I uh, would be a far wealthier man if I didn't think I was Superman, right? Uh, I spent many years trying to do it all myself, and indeed if there were an infinite number of hours in the day, I could, I could have done all the accounting and been my own general contractor and put all the ads up on Facebook. And I absolutely could have done absolutely everything. It's just, you know, get, getting to the point where you realize that it's just about time and, and you do need to, to hire other people to do that. Um, so honestly, that, that whole first deal and then even my second uh, deal were all, uh, me doing most all of the general contracting asset management type stuff. Those properties did have managers. Again, I'm okay. here in San Francisco. These first couple properties that I bought were uh, still are <laughs> uh, out in the Oklahoma city, uh, Oklahoma Metro. Okay. So, um, uh, so I have now uh, more thoroughly outsourced those, but really kind of the first hire I would say, other than really like a manager, uh, or of course having any number of contractors, your plumbers and electricians. Right. Um, really, I don't think I made my first hire then until my first fund, uh, which was now about six and a half years ago or so. And uh, honestly, my partner and I raised uh, so, some money, uh, bought several parks, and uh, it probably took us about a year <laughs> into that partnership to realize that, hey, we actually need a controller, somebody to be doing kind of all the basic bookkeeping on up right. into uh, uh, some payables and receivables. So um, so that, that was really it at that point. And that person, of course, just supported the fund, not my two properties. But at that point, I think we had probably seven or eight deals uh, under our belt uh, all averaging about a hundred pads. So we got to okay. seven or 800 pads doing bookkeeping and stuff, all that on oh, our yeah. own, uh, which was a mistake. Again, we, we should right. not have been super men. We should have hired, we really, and I've done things differently with my current Park Avenue fund, you know, where I brought on accounting and asset manager people even before having a single deal purchased. Okay. Um, so I guess, you know, Fool me once, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So I wasn't going to let that happen again. But uh, but that was it. We were up to seven to eight hundred pads before we brought on a controller. 
uh, and we then got another couple of deals done and we were at around a thousand pads or 1100 pads in that first fund uh, before we hired our first asset manager, uh, obviously somebody to oversee the community managers. Um, so those were our first couple of key hires and we made them too late, but thank heavens we did, we did make them. That's great. Yeah, I, I think I hear the same thing from about everybody that your first hire or your, each hire is always a little too late, but it's, you're glad you did. It's always like you were, you were, you resist, you resist, you resist. But then when you do, you're like, what was I doing beforehand? I mean, and now that I, yeah, I'm looking now that I'm, I know rent manager, but I'm like, good grief. If I was the one doing rent manager entry, I'd lose my hair. It's just like, you know, it's still much monotonous, tedious work. So it's like, you want to have, I think a bookkeeper or controllers is a great yeah. first hire. And then, yeah, as you get bigger, you're obviously the asset manager and, um, because uh, yeah, I have, I have somebody on my team that does a combination of entry bookkeeping and marketing and the ads and does, you know, just kind of general office administration stuff too. It's like, that's so helpful, so valuable. Um, that, yeah. And then obviously at some point, like you said, you bring your, raise your fund, you got to bring in some equity partners, right? Cause you, you either run out of money or your, your, your wife doesn't let you spend it all in one deal. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, my, that's my situation that's gone. But yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about that next step of how you, how you decided to get in, you know, raise the fund. And is your, is your fund, I'm not familiar with it. Is it like a, like a private place memorandum where you, you have one deal at a time and you raise capital or is it you pre-raise five man bucks and then you go buy, then you go look for deals. Yeah. So uh, what I've always done for better or for worse uh uh, has been more the, the latter, raising funds. Uh, our investors um, are typically, uh, really all are accredited investors. Uh, we're still relatively small. That This last Park Avenue fund uh, was about 15.8 million. Uh, that's still a little too small for, you know, institutional money. And and I think that's fine. I'm not necessarily looking to, you know, raise a hundred million bucks uh, just just to raise it and charge fees. Uh, frankly, something that makes us kind of different is we charge no fees at all. <laughs> so yeah. we, we don't raise money just for the sake of raising money and charging you know, a management fee on it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it became pretty clear. Obviously I, I bought those first couple of deals that pretty well maxed out my net worth and I needed to, to do something else. So, uh, uh, so I formed, uh, so, so actually uh, my former partner, uh, Brad, reached out to me just kind of out of the blue and said, hey, let's form a partnership and go buy mobile home parks. Um, and it was something I'd been thinking about doing as well. So, um, so we raised our first couple of two funds there as a partnership. Again, what I'm working on now is just me at Park Avenue. Um, but that was, that was really it. And, and uh, I'll, I'll give your listeners some encouraging, uh, an encouraging word. Uh, you know, our first deal, um, we kind of went guardrail to guardrail with investors. <clears throat> By that, I mean, uh, we had a deal lined up, which we still own, uh, and is doing quite well. Um, uh, and we had a guy from Wyoming lined up to finance it. And he was going to, he had some prior experience in real estate. It was more like sort of McMansion million dollar fix and flip. Okay. Um but he had some real estate experience, seemed to be a high net worth guy. Uh, you know, he kept asking all the right questions, although somehow he kept repeating them. Uh, but uh, this gentleman, we sort of refer to him as Mr. Wyoming. Uh, he kept um, saying he was going to do the whole deal, uh, chewed up a lot of partner time, 
Uh, we got wise that he probably wasn't going to do the deal, at least not the whole deal. Again, we got wise just a little, little later than we should have, but we started talking to other folks. Uh, but ultimately, that uh, prospective investor who was so gung-ho to take down the whole deal himself uh, sent us a one-sentence email just saying, my wife won't let me do this deal. Wow. <laughs> he didn't even have the, the chutzpah to pick up the phone and just tell us. He left he sent you a one sentence, one sentence email. Um, meanwhile, you know, I had sent uh, an, an email to a former uh, sort of neighbor of mine when I lived in Boston. He, he, he lived in the unit above me. We had kept loosely in touch. I sent him an email. We'll call him Mr. Boston. I said, hey, if you're still interested in mobile home parks, you know, would love to have you in on this deal. Let me know if you want to talk about it. He texted me back and said, okay, uh, I'm in. Uh, you, you know, what, what's your bank account number? And I said, well, when do you want to talk about the deal? And he texted me back and said, no, Jefferson, I'm in. I'm wiring 100,000 bucks in the morning. What is your bank account number? That's awesome. So the next morning, 100 grand showed up from like one email and two text messages. So We've, I've never yet had it as difficult to raise money as Mr. Wyoming. I've never yet had it be quite as easy as, as Mr. Boston. Uh, but just kind of interesting, we went guardrail to guardrail. So it's, it's generally on the whole gotten uh, easier to raise money. Uh, our funds have generally gotten larger. Um, again, not that size specifically matters that much. You could raise several smaller funds and deploy them in a year or one bigger one and take two or three years to... To deploy, but generally we, we've gotten more investor interest. We've got a pretty good track record. Folks are telling other folks, um, and again, they'll typically invest with us uh, some amount of money, and then before we close the fund, and we send out that proverbial train leaving the station email uh, as the fund closes. Then usually the amount of money triples in that last month for us. Anyway, it's been about three x higher, whatever it has been for the, the preceding eleven months. Um, anyway, so we're, we're about to launch another fund probably in Q2 of 2021 next year. Um, we'll, we'll see how large it is. No right or wrong answers, but it'll be the same. People can invest and then make a subsequent follow on or whatever. Yeah. We'll just see where we end up and we'll be, be buying deals all the way through. All right. Well, that's, that's good stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely at the next level is when you start bringing on investors and you know, there's pros and yeah. cons to that. I've, I've done some of that myself and sometimes I wish I hadn't because it's like, Oh no, I, now I'm doing all this extra regulatory stuff and all the doing a draft and a PPM is a huge pain and all this stuff. Oh, whatever, you know, it's, yeah. it's necessary, right? It's part, it's part of the next step of the game. Um, I'm like you, I don't, I don't like to charge the asset management fees and, and all that kind of stuff. I prefer just to do kind of an eight breath and then a you know, general partner, limited partner split uh, on a deal by deal basis, sometimes an acquisition fee, sometimes not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of PPMs, a lot of a lot of funds, and it's it's amazing how many different structures, different hurdles, and waterfalls, and everything. Oh, yeah. There's people ask me ask me sometimes, how do you set this up? I'm like, there's a thousand scenarios. How do you want to set it? And <laughs> what was the ultimate goal? What are you trying to get to for your investment? What are you trying to get to for you? And then we can set it up, you know, one one way or another. Um, and we do that. For, we do PPM for people, but it's it's they come to me like as if there's one cookie cutter deal. It's like there's not. I mean, if it's a right. if it's a heavy infill or you know a big you know infill flip, it's a different pro forma. So it's a different. It's probably a different general part of the first split than a than a deal that's right down the fairway that's 95% occupied and market rent. Um, so it's, I think you just continue to look at each each investor and each project 
case by case basis kind of how I look at it. Yep, that's very true. <laughs> what other, what other, uh, I won't take too much of your time, but what other, what other tips or tricks do you have that you could share that uh, our listeners can, <clears throat> can uh, learn from? Yeah, I just say, so again, outsourcing is going to be critical. Uh, do it sooner than you're probably comfortable with. Uh, you know, key, key areas to outsource are uh, accounting uh, and then everything around marketing, just keeping a presence up on Facebook Marketplace, uh, Craigslist, of course, uh, Zillow, MH Village, all those. Um, sometimes you'll have community managers that are skilled enough to do all that marketing, uh, but we've also outsourced some of that, but you probably don't want to be the guy doing, doing that either. Um, and then if you have gotten to the fund level, uh, probably then you need to outsource uh, or at least make a key hire for somebody just reviewing deals and filtering out, you know, for every 10 deals to get down to one that, you know, looks like it might be interesting. And you kind of define what your own internal metrics are around size, cap rate, upside. Um, but, but, but we found it, it's been very good to ha have people just uh, sourcing and evaluating deals uh, for us. Again, just to filter through to, sure. to get down to the 10% of stuff that might be then worth really digging into. Um, so out outsource early and often. Um, probably, but then I would say as soon as you can, as soon as you have scale, if you start keeping somebody busy 40 hours a week uh, or somewhat close to that, I'd say, again, you might want to then just bring them in-house <clears throat> as an employee. Uh, we found it generally helps when, when you get up to that level and you're then somebody's total mind share. It's not just like, oh, I found this guy through Fiverr and I do five hours a week of marketing for Jefferson, whoever that is, but, but like you get somebody that's like already busy 30 something or towards 40, just bring them on again, probably as an employee could be an independent contractor, but just get a relationship with them where they're working for you full time. Uh, I, we found generally you'll, you'll get better work. Uh, there's just something about, you know, being somebody's real soul focus. Right. Uh, Have a boss. And, yeah. And, and giving them a sense of that sort of stability like, hey, this is, you know, it's not just like some job on Fiverr and I need five hours this week and then it's zero next. Like, you know, you're now our marketing person, our controller, <clears throat> our deal guy. You're now working here full time. Uh, and basically, as soon as you can get to that, uh, again, I, I really advise folks to then try and actually make full time hires uh, as soon as you reasonably can. No, I think that's great. I, I agree. I'm I'm a big fan of bringing people in full time because it's like they feel like they're part of the team. They they you spend you don't you don't mind spending the same amount of time investing in them and helping yeah. them learn the trade. And then you got like so you're their boss, you get their full attention. So yeah, we've, I've hired three full time people in the last ten days. So like I'm really trying to do that and just you know outsource, downsource all that stuff and get people. You know, you're just the acquisitions guy. Find preliminary underwrite. You know, yeah, you catch them. Finance guy's gonna cook them, you know, clean them. You know, it, let's do, let's get this thing all, all kind of team oriented, and not to be too siloed. I like cross training all that, but that's definitely, definitely good advice. And I, I've even noticed that in the, with the laborers, maintenance guys. Where I, we first had a park, it was like it was 54 lots. We didn't have enough work. It was like 10 or 15 parking homes to renovate. We had full time work for a while for this maintenance guy, but then we ran out of work, and he went and got a roofing gig. 
well, then we needed him to fix the toilet or something. He goes, oh, I, I'm, I'm out roofing for the next three days. I'll, I'll get to it on Saturday. Like, I need you today. Well, then I got to call plumbers at $150 an hour. This guy was 15. So then I realized, yeah. okay, we need to buy enough work, buy enough stuff in this trade area to keep this guy busy full time. And that's been our, our goal. And like, like right now today, I've got, so I've got three full-time guys, maintenance guys in Kansas City. I sent two of them to Illinois today because I'm running out of work and parking homes to my next one to come in. I'm sending to go work on remodeling a duplex that's on a park in some, in some park homes in Illinois. Keep them busy. I'm paying for drive time. I put them in a hotel. But then I keep, then I have to go find them again. So I, 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 if, if it makes sense for the maintenance, I thought it definitely makes sense too for things like the marketing and the bookkeeping and all that. So um, definitely seems to be better for team building day. It's a good to tell people I, I can get yeah. full-time work. You know, don't go out there looking for jobs. Don't go out there mowing grass on the weekends. I need you, and I can pay you. You know, and once you do that, they they believe you. You know, so right. that's great right. stuff. That's great stuff. Well, Jefferson, I appreciate. It. Where can where can people find you, or how can they contact you? Uh, what's your what's the kind of information you want to share on that? Sure. So uh, our website is simply parkavenuepartners.com. And uh, I think there's a, a sign up link for our, our mailing list right at the very top center of the website. Uh, honestly, we don't email probably even once a month on average, but that'll keep folks in the loop on our deals uh, and the upcoming fund. Um, there's also, you can also email me, just fill out the form. Also, I think that towards the bottom uh, of that homepage. Um, and then it, it, as you mentioned, we, we, uh, I did also start the industry's first uh, mobile home park podcast called Mobile Home Park Investors, and folks can find that and our LinkedIn group uh, simply by going to mobilehomeparkinvestors.com. That's great. How many, how many episodes are you up to on your podcast? I haven't, I haven't stayed up on it, I have to admit. But... I think we've gotten to 121. Wow. So uh, about 100 hours of, of content up there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've got a range of folks. We actually, uh, sort of the biggest name, we actually interviewed Jim Clayton, oh, really? uh, obviously of Clayton Holmes, the guys we think a billionaire sold his business to Warren Buffett. Oh, yeah. uh, we've got a good interview with him up there. Uh, and then various other folks that, you know, are, are mortgage brokers, uh, uh, designers of mobile home parks. Uh, there's also just a fair amount of content and war stories from our experience, finding diligencing of parks and, uh, hiring people and going through all that you have to go through in the trenches uh, to be in this business. All right. Well, great. I appreciate your help and your insights today, Jefferson. Take care. Okay. Thank you for, bye-bye. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.